Hello, and thank you so much for joining me in another episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. I have Dr. John Corey from the Arizona Institute of Motion joining me today to talk about how he's built a successful practice and become an absolute thought leader in his space. And I also have my husband and partner in business, Justin Knott, with me today because we're going to be talking all about marketing, what to do to be successful, and of course, learn a lot from Dr. John Corey about what he's done as a specialist to become a thought leader. So Dr. John Corey, introduce yourself. Hello, Kelly. Thank you for having us on. My name is John Corey, as Kelly said, and, and I'm a local orthopedic surgeon. I happen to have taken an interest in and gone on to do further training in both foot and ankle surgery, as well as sports injuries and sports maladies that happen. So I, I sort of have a, a little bit of a, a combination or a niche that, that has an interesting uh, sort of uh, place in in the orthopedic or musculoskeletal community here in in Phoenix. Oh, that's awesome! So we are super excited to learn more about that. And Dr. Corey, you said you're also you're an orthopedic surgeon, but you specialize in the foot and ankle. So, kind of what led you to that to being a physician, and what influences did you have in your life to become an orthopedic doctor? Well, I, I think. There, were, there was a lot from the very beginning. I grew up on a medical school campus. My father was a cancer researcher and a biochemist. So oh, wow. I grew up literally surrounded surrounded by doctors and residents and and those. And then I was a typical wild boy and played <laughs> all the sports both in and out of bounds and, and uh, meaning, you know, inside the chalk lines and also in the neighborhood. And actually from about the time I was about 12 to about 19, spent a great deal of time in my orthopedic surgeons, plural offices. And um, I think that many orthopedic surgeons have gone through that and where they've gone through the injuries and get a fascination through the process. And I think I was part of that Uh, on top of always being around sports and uh, exercise and activity, combine those two things. And I think that's how I got here. Well, that's, that's pretty amazing. I know growing up, it sounds like it was in your blood, but then of course, after going through the sports related processes and injuries, you have a different viewpoint on it, maybe than someone who hasn't experienced that. So I know a ton of athletes out there are always looking for the best care and kind of even like you said, preventative care as well. Um, and how to keep the health going when playing these sports, especially longevity wise. I know Justin can relate. He yeah, had a yeah, few absolutely. I played, yeah, I played college football. So I know very well, like you're saying, Dr. Corey, growing up as a multi-sport athlete, you end up in front of an orthopedic surgeon a lot more often than you like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I think that brings us to, you were speaking about the preventative side of things. And I think that's kind of where my story picks up. I went to college and was playing Division one soccer at Wake Forest University under the original coach there, George Kennedy. Oh, excellent. Very cool. Um, very cool. He left shortly thereafter. Go Deeks, by the way, number three in the country <laughs> this year. Um, the After finishing my soccer career, I obviously had to spend some time in the academic world at, at a school as challenging as Wake Forest. And my degree was in actually exercise physiology. And wow. so my, I turned my love of exercise and, and you know, all it took to be at that high level and began studying it as a, you know, as an academic effort and ultimately went to graduate school and did work in physiology and exercise physiology, worked with the Hooters race car team, Kyle Petty and Derek Cope when I was about 20 years old with those NASCAR teams 
including the NASCAR champion, uh, Alan Kowicki. Wow. So oh, I, cool. I've been around these kind of athletes and this kind of stuff literally since I was 20 years old and, and have been able to meld sort of the non-operative and academic side of, say, exercise physiology with the surgical, invasive, and even the non-invasive side of musculoskeletal care, specifically in my case, orthopedic surgery of the lower extremity. That's really interesting, too, because you don't always get the best of both worlds when working with specialists. You don't usually have someone that is both non-operative and operative. So how did you go from this love with exercise sports to becoming a medical doctor? <laughs> Those that can't do teach, right? So uh, <laughs> what's my, my career was sort of on a fizzle. Um, I, I think it, it the... There's so much that goes on in the tactics of high-level sports in, in your brain that people don't fully appreciate that I think I turned that attention, that I would, that focus and that drive into the, the question of, you know, why, why did I hit technical or physical ceilings or why did I not recover from injuries versus somebody else or why, why one athlete versus another. And so I, I think it's always fascinated me and I think it continues to drive how I treat patients as well as how we, how we study the process of, of treating musculoskeletal injuries in, in humans. Do you think maybe that experience before, like you said, kind of not only being the athlete on the other side, but learning some of those non-operative ways to kind of prevent injuries or have quick healing has helped you as an orthopedic surgeon now that you're more involved on some of the operative side as well? Yeah, I, I feel very lucky that I, I sort of spanned generations in terms of when I was training for medicine. I, I predated all of sort of the computerized everything. And, and so there were a lot of really artistic doctors that spent a lot of time thinking and, and having to, to look and, and study the process without big computers and, and technology. They had to actually study the person, the athlete in front of them is what I say to my students all the time. You have to know the athlete sitting in front of you, whether that's, you know, a professional athlete like an Arizona Cardinal or a Diamondback that we take care of or a college athlete or, or a 65-year-old grandmother who wants to go play with her grandkids. You have to understand what motivates them, what moves, what, what will allow them to move, what they've been able to do what they'd like to be able to do to, to try to figure out what your goals should be before you actually treat the patient. That is an excellent point. Yeah, it point. makes total sense. What would you recommend for any physicians listening, especially anyone in this space? You just mentioned your work with some local big teams in your area like the Cardinals. How would you get more plugged in or more involved as the specialist so that they refer to you for these really serious athletic preventative procedures or healing or anything they need to kind of move forward in the game? I think the most important thing really is, and it's sitting on the wall just to our left above our heads, and it says, remember why you started. So I, I didn't start this to take care of the professional athletes in Phoenix or anywhere else. I started it because I was a scared and hurt kid in the orthopedic surgeon's office. Uh -huh. And uh, I have to admit that if if I, when I've been sick and needed the care of a physician, that fear and anxiety still persists, and I'm over 50 years old. So, I, I <laughs> and think a physician, are, 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 you know, I think a lot of people rightfully would say it's a fear and the fearful and 
an anxiety provoking thing to go to a doctor like an orthopedic surgeon or people that do things that hurt and they usually come here because they're in pain. So, right. you know, taking a, a holistic approach to it and, and sitting down and finding out a, what the patient can't do that they'd love to be able to do and what motivates them to get there. And I think that helps us really understand who our patients are and, and what things they would consider a success or, or their goal line or their championship. Absolutely. That's got to make a huge difference for athletes. Um, like you said, even with the anxiety and nervousness, even if you were a regular patient, let alone when the career's on the line or you're trying to figure out when you're going to get in the game next. So that's really great advice is kind of as you said, studying the athlete. I really like that. I may have to title the podcast that. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we actually even we actually even bring our our service. We have an ESA. His name's Achilles the Great, and he comes to the office with us. Achilles he's the patient's the favorite. So oh, that's very much a, a, a very homey office when we get here, specifically for that reason. Um, well, because I acknowledge that as as one of the biggest impediments to patients being able to relax and tell you their story and, and begin the healing process. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's excellent. So you talked about how you get involved with local sports teams and big sports teams, but how else are you standing out in Arizona from your competitors, maybe even podiatrists or other orthopedic surgeons or physiotherapists? How are you standing out from the competition? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think a lot of our listeners would be curious, kind of that evolution of when you did get into private practice and then kind of what you've seen over that time period to be really effective. I know even before we got started, you had mentioned kind of your great marketing team, but what you've seen over the years that have been the most effective to reach new patients and then even potentially, as you said, get them back through the door and make them feel comfortable while they're there. I, th I think there's two parts to it. Number one, I think the easiest thing is be authentic. And so what I've done is very taken the true. things that I love. And, and, and somebody recently asked me, you know, to give them a, a one or two words. What are, what are my foci? What, what am I focused on? And what would I, how would I describe it to somebody in one sentence? And I said, okay, movement and mentorship. Ooh. And, and that's I like that. the why. Yep. Right. There's the why for me. And so if I start from that and I, and I move forward from that and everything is premised on that, and this is why I rebranded from my, my business name. If you get a bill from my office, my billing company is called the foot and ankle center. And, and that makes me come across as a foot and ankle surgeon. And I am, but I actually using my background in exercise physiology, using some of the technology and some of the, the continued education that I've done through the soccer world, the sports world, uh, ballet and dance and arts world that I've been involved in and those things that I've been able to to further the education that I had pr prior to being a doctor, my exercise physiology and, and human physiology and the neuroscience of motor patterns and things like that and, and invest them into the process of musculoskeletal care. And, and that has been my authenticity. And therefore, when teams, and it's not just the local teams, I'm fortunate that probably half of the spring training teams that train here, the trainers know of me. And when they have people that have problems in their locomotive system, I often get a call to, to do a consultation because they have grown to expect the fact that I'm going to look at a holistic process and don't have any real impetus to be cutting people open or, or whatever, that there's a scientific part of this as well. And it's descriptive and it's diagnostic and it can help help people recover without 
you know, invasive procedures. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And what have you seen have been the best avenues when you're talking about that authenticity? I think it's been interesting in the agency world, we've seen kind of the evolution that digital the digital platforms have allowed doctors to kind of build out their their, brand and their, story, their voice yeah. and their personal brand and 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 their level of authenticity what have you found effective i mean obviously you're on this podcast right now but from a channel's perspective over the years as you're developing your message you your authenticity your experiences yeah. just like you told us how are you I, doing i think that? what i've evolved to i think what i've evolved to is again i think you have to be authentic and you have to let people know what that is and so i think it's important that people you know, have a very clearly stated purpose that people can understand and relate to um, and be authentic to that. Um, I think in in my estimation, again, how I grew up and what my father taught me being a chairman and sort of having to deal with both ethics and bureaucracy and all those things is, you know, you have to protect, particularly when you're a small businessman, you have to protect your brand and you have to protect your reputation which means you have to be careful not to to be seen as selling out to certain brands or whatever by how you market. I'm very, very fortunate that in, in my marketing structure, I've been associated with and marketing that's been doing my webpage and my online media presence and helping my on-ground media and, and, and people that do some marketing for me to help me take what my vision is what my my mission and and make sure that people see that when they look at look at my webpage look at my instagram that they're seeing what i'm telling them and the beauty for me is that i've worked with them for enough years where i just have to tell them what the new stuff is and and the reality is they they've seen the vision and they've been involved in it in a way so it, it's great for me to be able to work locally with local and and what I've seen is is that is almost reinvesting back in because they're they're here seeing the work we're doing, whether it be doing Pat's run with a group of patients or doing something for St. Jude's or or doing something with the local youth soccer club, putting on a golf tournament for uh, raising funds for kids that can't afford to play soccer. Right, those are things that were near and dear to me and always have been. I don't do them for publicity but if you're doing them it's okay you know i think it's not only okay but i think you should also let your community know hey this is what we invest in this is what we think is important and it's the, the health of our kids and it goes along with our entire mission statement and values and everything we stand for Absolutely. I think it is so important as a physician to get plugged in with the community. And I love how you mentioned we are a healthcare marketing agency and we love when we hear physicians talk about the teams that they build around them and using these channels and outlets and working with their marketing professionals, being open to new ideas and allowing these marketing individuals to help share your story and your brand. And you said protect your reputation. So you're getting plugged into something you already love doing and it shows. What would you say is kind of at, over the years of having your practice, uh, I think it's been interesting, the the patient kind of evolution of their journey and, and where they are and I think pioneering their own patient care. Have you seen um, a lot of that from a conversation perspective um, turning online? I just feel like so many patients now are being proactive in their care. They're not just relying on, say, another physician referral, but they're actually, if there is something going on um, 
and their locomotive system, as you kind of referred to it as, is they're going online, they're researching out experts like you and then showing up without the help of another ortho or their primary care. Have you, have, have that caused you to put more emphasis on digital over the years or what are your thoughts on that? I think it's pretty clear that the people that are making the choices and whether it's actually the people who need the choices or whether it's just somebody that's actually making the actual appointments, you know, are, are more savvy than they ever have been in terms of online. Right. And so so they, they do go online to look for local providers and they, they seek out certain keywords and phrases and, and it's become the new marketplace as it. So I think you do have to, to pay attention to that. And again, you know, a lot of physicians like myself, I'm old enough to have been brought up in a time when it literally was said out loud that it was unseemly to advertise as a physician. <laughs> yep. You know, oh, yeah. Actually, I, I know a, a friend of mine locally, Jay Schwartz from the Schwartz Eye Center. Uh, Jay is a fantastic gentleman and, and has been very open and a community leader in terms of a community businessman. And he's always been generous with his time and his thoughts in these things. And he has told me stories that when he first started advertising the sports eye care, that he got essentially threats on his home phone from other physicians. He assumed wow. basically, wow, what are you doing? I mean, just dead calls, basically, what are you doing? This is wow. unseemly. This is, you know, physicians don't do this. He's yeah. like, talk about not? how times have changed. Why don't we? Right. Well, the hospitals are spending millions and right. millions and millions of dollars to advertise. And yep. certainly CVS and all the other big corporations are telling Walmart. you why you should come to these huge hospitals, you know, and yet, you know, the, the small business owner is still the one that does 60% plus of the work. That's a, yeah, it's very that's true. Good point. Yeah, it's very true. Well, I'm going to jump over from the marketing unless you have, do you have another question? No, no, okay. that was very helpful. Because I have a question about how you keep your patients or help them avoid surgical procedures. So the prevention side. Yeah, the per- I want to know a little bit more about how you're helping not only these athletes, but other patients you have to prevent some of these big surgeries or keep them healthy enough so that they don't have to go down that road. Obviously, not every patient is going to be able to experience this and each patient is unique. But how are you helping your patients with the preventative treatment? Well, we're, we're in a demographic, particularly here in Scottsdale, um, that there's a very high activity level at all age groups. When you compare and year round, when you compare to say New England, which is snowed in however many months a year, <laughs> typically. So people are very active. They do a lot of stuff. So we see a lot of overuse and misuse injuries. And I think you're alluding to how do we prevent those and right. people like to run or do triathlons and those sort of things. And it, and it really is, again, we've sort of alluded to it earlier today, know the athlete in front of you and so on. But I think we also need to start to educate our athletes, be it our grandmothers or our professional athletes, that, in fact, movement is medicine. And I'm quoting Joseph Pilates at this point. Movement is medicine. Well, medicine needs a dosage and a timing and, and needs some you know, checks and balances on it because you can overdose on just about anything. Right. So a lot of times people mistake, you know, there's a, there's another quote, don't mistake activity for success. So a lot of people think by going out and running today, they're doing themselves a favor where in fact, today may be a better day to do some flexibility work or some recovery work um, to actually help the body 
recover, and, and it's certainly the most neglected part of a wellness program is the recovery portion for amateur athletes. So I think getting somebody to understand the entirety of what it is to be athletic and rephrase what they think of as an af- you know, being an athletic person in the community, be it a, you know, 40, 50 year old orthopedic surgeon trying to get in shape or whatever. Again, it, it you have to do it in a way where you know, if your body's ready to start exercising healthy enough to start exercising and then starting your exercise prescription in such a way that you don't create so much harm that you have to take the next three months or four months right. or six months <laughs> off, which sets you back even further. I like that exercise prescription. That's a great way to talk about it in dosage. Um, a different type of viewpoint there on movement. I like that. And I and I to tie in, it's it's actually the real impetus for me rebranding into the Arizona Institute of Motion. Okay. That that sort of premise right there where teaching people that what what is referred to as natural movement oftentimes will uncover the root cause of many of these misuse overuse problems. Plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis, Osgood slaughters in the teenagers and growing pains and things like that. These are quality of movement issues as much as they are quantity of movement issues. And so a little bit of education goes a long way if we can help patients learn to rephrase their movement patterns um, and teach them how to help themselves move better. And then over time, their bodies will actually be more adaptable, which actually makes them more durable. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. I love that idea of creating education for your patients before they walk in your door, getting to understand your style and educating them on healthy motion, normal motion and movement and how to adapt and so that they can avoid these injuries. So do you agree that it's super helpful when it comes to marketing and speaking your voice that you are using educational materials like you talked about on, you know, kind of helping them prevent these injuries before they come in with these injuries? Absolutely. We we have spent a lot of time and I'm again I'm gonna brag on my team, but they've helped me bring ideas for vid- content video that, that not only is somewhat, you know, refreshing for the patients that have gone through the injury, they've been nice enough to help us, but it also helps educate patients that in fact they can go through an injury without necessarily surgery, depending on the injury. And if they put in the effort and they put in the work that they can actually recover back to full activities, you know, if they trust the process and, and are engaged in it, they can, they can actually recover these, some of these injuries without having to go through these big surgeries. That's Sometimes excellent. we have to do big surgeries too, but, but right. hopefully. Well, what would you say are some of the benefits for patients maybe versus going to a huge hospital system? on seeing you as a physician, as a private physician owner? I think the biggest benefit is that I get to meet patients on their own terms. And and I mean that in the very most overt way. Um, I actually saw patients on my office after six o'clock Friday night, because that's when they could come in. A soccer player had an injury and they literally came straight straight off the field. I happened to be near, near the office. And then also Sunday morning, had a, a young girl with a foot injury. I knew the father, and he texted me, and we opened the office, took a quick X-ray, and 
That's amazing. They don't end yeah, up in great. the emergency room. So the the the, the community, you know, the, the concept of a community physician, a lot of times people think of a family practice doctor or whatever. When I was a kid, my orthopedic surgeon, my parents would call him. They would call him, right? They didn't that. call a call service. Right. Or they called him and said, John's foot is broken or whatever it was that month, right? So, and then we would show up in the office and they would treat it. And, you know, I, I to this day, speak nothing but praise for the Dr. Phil Spiegel and Dr. Callahan who took care of me when I was a kid. They were, they were amazing. Now to piggyback off that, what what are you, if you had some advice, because I know we have a lot of listeners out there that um, physicians maybe that are starting a practice, coming out of fellowship, uh, and you've been in it for a while, that you would recommend, uh, we've talked a lot about the digital side, but it's just as important that offline component of tapping into the community getting in front of people, whether it's building other physician relationships, but even more important, building relationships with potential patients out there and building that trust. Do you have any tips or things that you've seen work really well when it comes to kind of that hyper-local level community relations building that you recommend or have seen effective over the years to get your yourself known in the community like you're talking about where you have people texting you and calling you and opening the doors on Sundays that you would have for people listening out there that are maybe just starting out or struggling to to make those relationships. Yeah. I, I think I think it's no different. I think, you know, when you really look at what I do as a physician and they talk about the art of medicine or the practice of medicine. And if we, if I remember that and I get up every day and remember it, then in fact I'm an artisan. You know, I and I have to, I work like that. And artisans work for their patrons. Yep, that's very true. And if you remember that as a small business owner and as an artisan, then then you realize that in fact, you, you know, every day you're appreciative of the fact that you, the people in your community support your craft. And I, I look at it that way. I re, I'm so grateful for the patients I have and the relationships I've formed over 15 years here in the valley. And and I think if you engage yourself again with with integrity and also with with you know your authentic authentic self um i think it's easy so if you if you're somebody who's in the martial arts community well guess what you're already doing something you love engage there yep right That's very you don't, true. It, it doesn't have to be a niche it just if you're there and you're doing it find a way that people know that hey i'd love to if, if there's a tournament if there's something going on that i can add value by just making it a little safer for the kids or or just being around it. I love being around it anyway. And that for me, that's a soccer field. You you go around to the different yeah, big soccer complexes point. in town, and you're going to see myself and my dog Achilles out there <laughs> at least one weekend morning every weekend because I I still love it. I'm still a soccer kid at heart. That's that's amazing that way. And, and you don't have to try that way. You just go out there and do it and be consistent and you know what just like Zig Ziglar said you have to say yes you know be available yeah it's very true yep you have ability and be present and pleasant with a bedside manner uh, when you're when you're out there and you're around that, there that, with that every helps, different patient that helps too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> be enjoyable to be around well, thank you so much for joining us today. I know a lot of listeners 
have a lot to take away, even people who may be considering on what is the best treatment for them, as well as other healthcare marketing professionals and physicians right now about to take the leap into becoming a private practice. And you've had such huge success, not only for your patients, Dr. Corey, but like you said, working with these teams, getting involved in the community. These are big things that I think physicians are trying to learn more about how to do it with a oh, busy yeah, schedule. For sure. So being a physician is busy. Do you have any well, advice like to, on that? I'd like to make a comment here. Go ahead. Yeah, I would. And, and the one comment I'd say is that I think that I think that physicians, particularly those that are thinking about coming out in the community, should reach out to somebody like myself to, or somebody other physician they know. And they're going to find out very quickly that physicians still want that collegiality that we trained and, and how we spent so many years in med school and training. Absolutely. And Great advice. It, 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 they'll be amazed. They'll be amazed at the power of that collegiality if they'll give it a little bit of effort and put themselves out there like that. That's great advice. Well, you're and, speaking uh, my language there. <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah. I connect yeah. physicians. So and... I think that's. I, I think that's. I think that's vitally important. And there's a lot of things I could say about physicians' mental health and other things that I that I take to be very very important and are things that I I have great passion for, but by engaging with our local physicians at, at real levels, you know, asking for advice, engaging in those processes, joining in small business groups and other things where we can work together to improve the situation for our patients as well as our own small practices, it will give, will empower the physicians to feel once again, like they have some control over their process. Do you think because you've been through this journey, like you said, before the robotics, before the digital stuff, you're very fortunate to kind of be right before that um, in, in your journey. Do you think a lot of that has with the digitization, social media, all that, um, and then the issues of physician burnout continuing to rise? Do you think that that community has eroded away somewhat? The people coming out of fellowship and stuff have forgotten that? Like, we're we're here, we're happy to support, we'd love to mentor, all you need to do is reach out and ask. Do you, do you Have you seen that environment change over the years? 100%. So 40 years ago, and again, I've been on a medical school campus since I was four years old. There wasn't a medical school there, but at four years old, there was a medical school campus in Tampa where I was growing up. So since four years old, so 48, almost 49 years around medical school politics and so on. The reality of the situation is in the last 40 years, 40 years ago, 78% of physicians were self-employed. Wow, that's amazing. Currently, 46% of physicians are self-employed. Wow. Right? And so it breaks down like this. Right now, 46% are self-employed. 46% are employed by hospitals. And the other percentage, roughly 12%, that percentage comes in to 8%. Excuse me. The other 8% is roughly divided between locum tenens work and maybe working for an insurance company as a, say, medical director that reads mm-hmm should we give them an MRI or not, yep. right? Those kind of directors, right? So when you look at it this way, we've had a, you know, almost 50% of the doctors that were self-employed have now become employed. Yeah, that's amazing statistic. And, and as such, they're also in the same period of time, you've also seen that doctors are now the number one job overall, the number one career for suicide. Yeah. So you, you ask the physician wellness, but this is a loss of that sense of, 
control over the autonomy and mastery and all of the work that we put in to get to where we are and now being dictated by bureaucracy and, and administrative tasks that have nothing to do with the why that we went to medical school and why sure. we spent those hours up. So I think just the opposite. I think if the physicians will take the risk to re-engage in the collegiality in their community, they're going to find they're far higher rewarded. The old saying is, the Army will never love you back. Well, to my small practice owners, the hospital will never love you back. It's true. It's well said. Yeah, I think that's a really great point because I think it does create that lonely island feeling, especially when you're starting it, starting out on your own in a private practice or something and get really it's bogged daunting. down and forget. It's yeah, very daunting. I never, never expected to be in solo private practice. Very. That's very interesting. That that came to me by circumstance. And, and actually, it's been highly freeing and highly, <laughs> you know, highly educational in terms of even my medical practice has improved. Uh, that's great. And then, I mean, it's just back to your point is just like, start reaching out. I mean, start somewhere, start today. If you're really struggling, you need to get advice and you need to talk to somebody. I'm sure there's plenty of doctors just in your community alone that'll. Absolutely. And that's what I do for my physicians and my clients. And what I teach in physician liaison university is there really is still, just like you said, I loved that you brought it up. Is there such a huge opportunity for physicians to meet face-to-face, connect, be candid with each other, ask each other's advice, get connected and plugged in, even if you're not talking about patient care and referrals. There's so much more to just opening the doors again to your physician community and spending the time kind of meeting face-to-face and building those relationships. So I really love that you brought that on in this podcast. And it just goes to show how many physicians out there still are trying to build this community. 100%. Thank you again so much, Dr. Corey, for joining us. And remember, you guys, if you want to connect, if you are a physician or even possibly a potential patient and you want to connect with Dr. Corey, please visit his website. It is the Arizona Institute of Motion is the name of his practice. I will have a link to his website in the show notes, as well as links to his social media so you guys can connect. Remember, he's open to building that colleague community. And of course seeing new patients. So I will have a link to his LinkedIn and Instagram in the show notes. And thank you again so much for coming on. We really enjoyed having you. And I think the listeners will get a lot out of uh, what you had to say and share with them today. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to today's latest episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify, or you can sign up to receive the latest episode via email. Just check it out on my agency website or my personal website. And if you are looking for more amazing healthcare marketing information or just to engage, check us out at entropy.com. And for any of my amazing physician liaisons out there interested in growing their physician referrals or learning the strategies that it takes to build highly engaged physician referral networks, check out my website, kellynot.com, where I have free webinars, free downloads, and of course, my online physician liaison training course, Physician Liaison University. And as always, I'm a huge believer in connecting, engaging, and supporting one another. And the best way we can do that is networking. And I always, always connect with you guys on social media. And one of my biggest social media platforms is LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me there on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter at Kelly Knott. And thank you guys again for listening to the Patient Convert Podcast with your host, Kelly Knott.